Good morning. I know some of us have some sore muscles from the work we did yesterday, but our hearts are strong. And it was amazing to gather together as family, serve Carousel Ranch, because they serve our community in such an amazing way. And so thank you for everyone who participated in that. But we're excited to be together for our 40-day series as we begin on freedom. And today we're going to be talking about freedom from anxiety. And anxiety is powerful. You know, Chas shared from his life about the anxiety of when your child was to be born. I remember when Michael was uh, being born and it was a scheduled C-section. And I asked the surgeon, hey, can I watch the whole thing? Like the whole, whole thing. And the surgeon's like, no, you can be in there, but we're going to have the curtain. And I go, yeah, but I want to watch. And he goes, okay, right when we're about to pull your child out of your wife's stomach, then you can stand up and then you can watch. So I'm just sitting there. And then all of a sudden they're like, okay, you can stand now. And they reach down and Cheryl and they they pull out this baby. We didn't know if it was going to be a boy or a girl. And it was kind of white and slimy with a thick phone cord. It kind of looked like E.T. when he was sick in the movie, if you remember that. And, And then they turn him around and they go, congratulations, you have a, it was a son. And we're like, oh, it's Michael. It's great. You know, and I remember I, I wasn't really stressed then. But I remember when he was in kindergarten and you get, you know, when your phone rings and it's the number of the school they attend. And it's before school is out. So you're like, this is either really, really good or really, really bad. And since it's in kindergarten, it's probably not good. And it was the principal, Mr. Hammer, uh, Michael's been injured. You need to come and bring him to the hospital. And I said, well, what happened? Well, he was running at gym class in the parking lot and tripped over the parking pylon, went head first in, in a cinder block wall, and his head hit right on the corner at the top. And I said, well, how's he doing? Well, he's doing okay. I I said, well, do you think he needs stitches? Yeah. And I go, you know he does or you think he does? And they said, we can see his skull. So I said, is he sitting there? And they're like, yeah, he's right here. And I go, put him on the phone. Hey, Michael, how you doing? And he goes, fine. He goes, your head hurting? And he goes, yeah, a little And then I remember we brought him to Northridge Medical. And then I remember, and you're kind of like, okay, I think he's going to be okay a few stitches. And then when they ran the first CAT scan, and they come back and give you the report. And they say, well, we've seen some concerning things in, in the CAT scan of his brain. And so he either is suffering brain damage or... That's just how his brain looks on a CAT scan. (laughs) And so we're going to keep him in ICU overnight. And tomorrow morning we'll do a CAT scan again. And if it looks the same, then we'll know that's just the way he looks and everything's fine. But if it's changed, then we know it's because there's 
trauma that's been done to his head. And I remember at that moment feeling so helpless. Like we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. We know in 12 hours we're going to find out after another CAT scan that he's either going to be just fine or he has some significant head trauma. And there's not a single thing that we can do about it. I remember Cheryl and I prayed. Mancini's came over. They prayed. The Sugarmans came with us. They prayed. But I remember feeling so helpless. There is not a single thing we can do. And we have 12 hours before we find out, is this okay news or really bad news? You know, sometimes life throws those situations. The fact is, sometimes life doesn't throw that much at us, but we create anxiety. Like, I remember I was in elementary school, and I got pink eye. And, uh, you know, for some of the younger, they didn't have the Internet back when I was in uh, elementary school. And so you couldn't just Google pink eye. But we had this Merck medical manual. And that was kind of like a medical dictionary. So I'd ask my parents, what's the, what's the real name for pink eye? Conjunctivitis. And so I look it up in there and I'm reading. And then I turn the page and then it talks about threat of death. And I remember telling my dad, Dad, I'm going to die from this. And he goes, no, you're not. You're going to be just fine. And... I go, Dad, no, the Merck manual said that there is an imminent threat of death from this. And he goes, let me see that. And so I show him, and then he realizes that two pages are stuck together. So pink eye at the bottom of this page went to a deathly diagnosis on the wrong page. So the truth is there was no reason for me to be anxious because I had pink eye. But you know what? That didn't really matter. Because as soon as I got wrong information, I was freaking out as a fourth or fifth grader. Until things were corrected. You know, I got good news for you today. And that is, got a sermon that is going to rid you of all your anxiety. Oh, yeah, but not because I'm going to take it away. No, no, no. What I hope is that you're going to learn to give it away because, see, it can't be taken from you. You're going to see that if you hang on to it, it's it's you're stuck with it. But you have a choice. So that's where we're going to go. So now I got a question for you. If I was to ask you which you would rather attempt to do, calm a raging storm at sea And so, you know, the waves are crashing over the boat, the wind is blowing, the lightning and all that. So you're in a boat and you have to calm this storm. Or I would like for you to call down fire from on heaven to destroy the opposition. I'm wondering if you had those two choices, which one do you think would be easier to accomplish? Well, in Luke chapter 8, the Bible records the first. And in Luke chapter 8, 
In verse 23, it says, They got in the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake, so the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. In Mark's account of this, part of the question was, Don't you care? So the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. He's taking a nap, and they're in this storm. And they just start freaking out. And they wake him up from his nap, and they're like, we're going to drown. And Jesus is like, guys, shh. He calms the storm. And he does not say, I get it. This was a really bad storm. I see why you were freaking out. He goes, where is your faith? One chapter later in Luke chapter 9, down in verse 51, It says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead who went to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from on heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he turned and they went to another village. Now, these are one chapter apart, a little bit of time in between. But the point that I want you to notice is James and John had no faith believing that fire could be called down on heaven. Yet when they were in the storm in the boat, they were freaking out with the wind and the waves. Then you say, Which one would call for greater faith? I wouldn't even know how to answer that. Both of those things would be ridiculous, right? Both those things would take amazing faith. But the point is, we have strong faith in some areas and weak faith in another area. Oops, let's back up. Money, bills, financial security. Children. Sickness. We do not worry equally about all things. And even if you think about your own life, what you tend to worry about, there will be certain things that other people freak out about that you look at them and go, what? Like, what's the big deal? That's okay. Everything's going to be okay. But then you have another area that just seems to be paralyzing. You say, so what's the difference? It's not whether or not the situation could cause anxiety. The difference is what you do with that trigger. We do not worry equally. You know, the Bible in two different categories in the New Testament talks about where there's a direct command, do not worry. And Matthew's got... 
a couple accounts. Luke has a couple accounts. And the first category is when you're persecuted, when you're brought before, you know, the magistrates. Don't worry about what to say. I'll, I'll, I'll give that to you. Okay, so that's the first one. But then the second one is about your life. And if you go over to Luke 12, we're going to read Luke's account of that. See what he says. Notice who he's talking to. His disciples. People that know who he is. They followed him. They know what he's capable of. And he says in verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink or worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So we pause there for a moment. And what's he saying? He's saying you've got to think about what it is you're worrying about and then evaluate God's role in life. And he uses examples. He goes, I mean, think of the birds. Okay, God is even taking care of the birds. God takes care of the flowers. And I love this example. It says, I mean, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And then Jesus kind of rubs it in just a little. And he goes, since you can't even do this very little thing. Why are you worrying about the rest? You know, Jesus trying to put it in perspective. He goes, God has got this. You don't. He's talking about what to do when you feel anxious. And sometimes we're hoping for something that can just like eliminate whatever's causing our anxiety. As if somehow we wake up tomorrow and it just won't be there. But that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. He says there's an active decision-making process that you can go through. And Jesus says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to think about your Father in heaven. So it's personal. You need to think about what He's capable of. You need to think about how He takes care of things around you. You even need to realize your limitations. That you can't even add one hour to your life. This very little thing. You see, the point of what Jesus is saying is that you have a choice 
of how to respond. And so point number one is this. Choose to release control. Now write this verse down. 1 Peter 5 verse 7. The whole verse is up there. But it says this. Cast all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And so it's the same thing of what Jesus was telling his disciples. That you cast, you get rid of your anxiety, you give it to God. Why? Because he cares for you. You had a professor over the last two years and he would say these things. When you're anxious, more trust in God is needed. You see, what is it that worries you most? And I guarantee you, it's an area of your life that you're not strong in your connection with God's sovereignty or His care or His sustenance. You know, there's certain areas of life we go, I know God's in control. God's with me on this. God's got me. God's taking care of me. But then this other area over here. There's a connection between anxiety and your trust in God. It says, cast all your anxiety upon him. Who does the casting? We do. See, that's where we started, right? Your anxiety is not going to be taken away from you against your will. But it's possible to cast it on the one who's got it firmly in his hand. But that's a choice that we make. You know, the word uh, anxiety comes from a Hebrew word that means a dog pawing or digging at the ground. Now, you ever seen a dog just kind of go crazy trying to dig for something? Okay, so you've got that picture in mind. Okay, that's anxiety. That's the the describing factor so that, you know, you get a chance. Something happens in your life. You hear bad news. You hear something, you know, we're sophisticated, right? So we don't call it, oh, you know, just irrational worries. We call it, I have some very specific concerns. Okay? But so you hear your specific concerns. Then you have a choice. Of what you're going to do. You see, this is not a sermon about eliminating the triggers. Those things happen. That's just human life. But the question is going to be how you respond. So, you can respond to that bad news and you can start pawing and digging and just going crazy. Or, you can cast your anxiety... To God, the one who can do something about it. It's a choice. And you have a choice. I mean, you see the picture of this dog. Do you realize that's the picture that Peter's painting? When you hear bad news and you you pounce and you're like pawn. How do we do that? Well, sometimes 
our pouncing and pawing look like this. We read about it. We get all the books we can. We start looking at the verses in the Bible. And you know what? And all those things are really good. But we're still hanging on to the problem. We're just studying. Oh, we talk about it. I got a question. When, when something's causing you anxiety, what's the main subject of your anxiety? Is it me? And I need to, and I, and I feel, and I, and I, and I, or is it in God? And God, and God, and God, and God. You know, prayer is amazing, right? You ever pray but never let go? And you go, well, I prayed about it. Yeah, but you know what? God's not going to take it away against your will. So you can pray with passion and leave your prayer time hanging on to the anxiety that you went to God. The point of prayer is the transference of the ownership of whatever the issue is. You see, the point is, who is in control, who is taking control of the thing that we're worried about? We have a choice. What are you going to do? You know, there's now a term called a monkey trap. And this term comes from the idea that you can trap a monkey... Supposedly in South America, they do this. I've never hunted monkeys, so it's not been personally verified. But they create a small cage and they put a banana in it. So the monkey can grab into the cage and he grabs a banana. But he can't get his hand out as long as he's holding the banana. And so they come to grab the monkey and he doesn't want to get caught, but he doesn't want to let go of the banana. And freedom is when he lets go of what's on the inside. But he's captured for one reason. Because he's refusing to let go of the thing that he wants to hang on to. So this is now a term. The question is, what's your monkey trap? You know, the good news is that you have the complete... Freedom and ability to make a choice to let go and hand it to God. But a lot of times we suffer from worry and anxiety day after day or week after week simply. Because even though we don't like our situation, we still want to be in control. We still believe it depends on us and that we're going to be the difference makers. And so we grip tightly on our kids. We grip tightly on our checkbook. We grip tightly on our schedule. Why? Because we want to keep control. Because we think if we can just control it well enough and successfully enough, then the anxiety will flood away. Meanwhile, Jesus is saying the exact opposite. He said, do not worry. Why? Because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. More trust is needed. You've got you to realize who's in the boat with you. 
Anxiety leads us to be critical. God, don't you care? You're unaware. You're asleep at the switch. I need you right now. You're not doing what I need you to do in my timing. And Jesus is saying, where is your faith? You see, the problem with anxiety is not because of the circumstances of life. There's no way to escape triggers of worry. The solution is not, well, if I just have a day where no one does anything that causes me worry, if I don't hear any news that causes me worry, then I will have a good day. No, that, that's not what Jesus is telling us to do. He's saying choose to release control and give it to God. And we have that choice. Second thing we're called to do is live for others. Go back. Uh, well, I think you're still in Luke 12. Luke 12. Let's continue reading that passage about worry. So, you know, Jesus says, hey, your heavenly father knows that you need them. OK, so don't worry about your life. Don't worry about those things. And then he says this in verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's amazing. So, Here's the context. He's saying, don't worry about, you know, what they're in the acquiring security worry phase. And Jesus says, hey, listen, God knows that you need him. So you need to remember that. Then what's Jesus tell him to do? He goes, just like, give that away. You're like, wait, that's the thing they're trying to acquire because they're scared. I need to accumulate more. I need to get more. And then I'll be fine. And then I'll be secure. He's like, no, no, no. That's not what you need to do. You need to actually give it. You're like, wait. I'm supposed to give away the stuff that I'm worried about? Yes. You say, why? Say, so, oh, I get it. When I when I think about other people, then I'm distracted and I'm not thinking about myself. No, that's that's kind of a side benefit, but that's not the primary benefit. You see, what Jesus says is that when you live for others, your treasure changes. So it's displaced. It's moved from one place to the other. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He says, when you choose a different treasure, then you now create a path for the heart and your emotions to follow along with. The very thing they were worried about, Jesus said, okay. Now you need to take those things and use them to live for other people. 
And he said, that'll change the treasure. Say, where's your treasure? You see, when you choose to live for others, the treasure is not about me. It's about the other. Now, you know who ends up benefiting? Well, the other does, but so do I. When we make ourselves the treasure, we create the problems for the heart to follow. So you need a different path because anxiety triggers are going to happen. That's just regular life. But what path will the heart follow? To self or to others? Well, Jesus says it depends on what treasure you've chosen. You know, I love it because too often I want, I want to wake up and just, I, I hope it's a good day, which means I hope there's no problems. Now, the issue is not no problems. It's my issue and my choice of what I decide to do. So, when you worry, not if you worry, when you worry, when you realize you're worried, when your friends or your kids or your spouse is telling you that you're worried and they may not say it that way. They may say, Mom, why are you freaking out? But as soon as you have that realization that anxiety is present, you have two choices to make. The first one is choose to release control. You know what? You ever tried to do something that you just really don't know what you're doing? And you've read the instruction manual and it didn't help. And then somebody who knows exactly what they're doing comes in and says, here, why don't you let me do this? You're like, oh, that'd be great. See, you have that choice. You get worried about something. We're not the expert, but we have a God who is. But he won't take control. He gives us the choice. So you have to choose to release the control. And secondly, when you're worried, choose other people. Because the treasure will change. And the heart will be able to follow we're, for, for 40 days, we're going to be talking about freedom. Free your mind. You know, we have choices to make. We've got a path in front of us. Jesus has made you in his image, and it's a glorious one. But there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of stress. But there's a way. There's a path. There's choices that we can make that ain't going to solve the initial problem that will change the outcome of what that trigger did for each one of us. And so let's all actively take the steps that Jesus called us to. Nobody wants to be the dog that's pouncing on the hole and just pawing and digging away. It's a waste of time and energy.
Let's respond in the way that we're created to respond. Let's give it to the one who should be in control. And let's live for others and have freedom from anxiety. Let's stand as we close in a final song.